Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Because Money podcast. Apparently, I believe this is episode number 17. We've made it that far. This week, we're joined by very special guest, Rob Carrick. Rob, it's good to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Glad to do it. Yeah, so a bit of housekeeping, get it out of the way. If you are watching for the first time, the Twitter hashtag is hashtag because money. If you've got something to say, contribute, question to ask, let us know. I'll try and get that in. Rob Engen is joining me as a co-host, and unfortunately, Sandy Martin can't be here, which is kind of fitting that we're talking about home ownership and the joys of home ownership and her house is half demolished and demolished and I believe she's living in a closet, a hallway, and a half a hide a bed in a room with lots of tools and a generator because her house has no power. So we're gonna we're gonna get into it. Rob uh, what mm-hmm. I Wow, I guess this is actually the tale of two Robs. I gotta I actually have to differentiate between you two. Rob Angen, why don't you Thank take you. it away? And then, uh, then we'll we'll rock and roll. So here we go. Thanks, Jackson, and uh, thanks, Rob, for for joining us here. Really excited to talk to you about uh, about Gen Y and about you know you you seem to have uh, kind of taken up the cause for Gen Y. Um, you know the job prospects are bleak, and you're not taking that stance that everybody does of you know oh the next generation they just need to pull up their socks and this is how I did it, and. Uh, you know, they're you know, they're just a bunch of entitled whiners. You know, they're they're the prospects are actually kind of bleak out there. And so you talk about uh, you've talked about that in many articles, and in fact wrote a book called uh, How Not to Move Back In with Your Parents, uh, which is a great read for for parents and for uh, and for Gen Y to um, you know get their finances on the right path. So I want to throw it over to you and ask about Gen Y and um, you know or do they really have it worse off than than the generations before them? You know, I really think they do have it worse off. I mean, I'm not going to say it's dramatically worse off, but they are. Let's put, let me put it this way. Instead of focusing on are they worse and if they are by how much, let's just say they have some very significant challenges. One is high cost of tuition. A lot of people are borrowing. The average person who borrows, and it's slightly less than half who do have to, to go into debt to afford a university, according to the latest figures, average debt is about $26,000. That's a lot of money to pay off, especially in a job market that is as tight and tough as it is now. We all know about young people who are not finding jobs in their field. They're working at lesser jobs. They're underemployed. Um, it's, it's, a tough, it's, it's a tough world to get started in, and... You know, you've got to you've got to get that good career start if you want to pay off your student loans and you want to move on in life. And saddling yourself with, um, well, on top of the student debt, that um, kind of leads us into the the whole housing market. And so you've made some arguments that, you know, we've got these retiring baby boomers, and if they hope to unload their houses, well, who are they going to unload them on? And and with the housing prices where they are today, it's not going to be Gen <coughs> Y, is it? Well, the way I see it, Gen Y is not positioned very well to pick up the slack in the housing market. Um, you know what, you've got, first of all, to, to get to, to, to afford a house in today's market, you have to have your student loans cleared away. That's, let's, let's emphasize that. Nothing happens until the student loans are paid off. Then you're probably going to have to save for, uh, I don't know, I'm going to throw a wild guess out there, five to seven, maybe ten years to afford not only the down payment, but also the closing costs and the cash reserve you're going to need. I figure Gen Y won't be seriously home buying until their mid-30s to late-30s. And what is the typical average uh, first-time home buyer? What's, what's the age? 
Well, you know what? The age was actually declining for a while. I think people were rushing into the market thinking they, um, I've got to get in because I'll be priced out. But uh, I don't think that can continue. That can continue. Um, I, I don't have exact figures, but my sense is it would probably be late twenties, early thirties. Okay. Which is you know more of a traditional age for home buying. Right, and so, in. And you got to think about all all the expenses too. I mean, you mentioned student loan uh, or paying back your student loans and your student debt. Uh, you're probably you know either buying a car or you've got a car payment at the time. Uh, maybe you're getting married and you've got a wedding and all that to afford. So, I mean, there's a lot of expenses at that age. And so we we talked about um, you know like where do you prioritize all that and where does you know is it such a bad thing to be renting for a while while you figure all that out? Well, the short answer to that question is no, it's not such a bad thing. But, you know, I think we have to look at one, uh, one of the differences between Gen Y and previous generations. In previous generations, you, could do, you couldn't do it all, but you could do a lot of it. So you could have the house and the wedding and the car, and you could juggle all these things. And then when the kids came along, you could handle that too. Today, I don't know if young people are able to, to carry all these priorities at the same time. So I think if you want a house in today's market, I think you have to make that job one and let everything else slide. You may have to stop uh, saving for retirement. You may need to not own a car. Maybe you want to own a cheap used car instead of, a, instead of buying new. You have to put all your resources into, uh, uh, into the down payment. Um, and then you've got to make sure you can afford the house once you've bought it. I mean, it's one thing to save up for the down payment. It's quite another to carry the house and all the other expenses uh, you know, over the years. Well, and Jackson mentioned, you know, there's a lot of gifts. Uh, parents are give, uh, gifting the down payment to the kids, but it's kind of like, the, you know, the gift that keeps on taking when, well, that's, when you consider the home uh, or the maintenance costs. And, and yeah, that's where taxes. I'd like to jump in. I'd like to jump in because that's exactly what I see. My experience as a mortgage broker is that the the first time home buyer, if they're in their you know early mid twenties, they're coming in with mom and dad who are driving them to get into the market and basically enabling them to buy the house. They're providing the down payment, sometimes leveraging a line of credit against their property to gift twenty percent, just assuming that the equity is going to you know appreciation on the property is going to drive up, and when they renew their five year term, they'll just refinance it and then pay off the parents' line of credit. I've seen a lot of that, and I've seen a lot of people just come into my office and just expect that home ownership is a right that the, it's just they have to I mean why wouldn't we buy a home it's stupid to rent and I kind of struggle with that because you know honestly it to believe that everyone's situation is going to be the same is ridiculous. If you're coming out of university, you've got high student loans, you're driving the Ford F-350 and you've taken a trip to Mexico every year of your life, really? Maybe home ownership isn't the best thing for you, but the problem is, is everyone assumes that it is. And they just, you're, you're crazy to tell me not to. And I think that's where I think we're getting into some problems. <clears throat> and Rob, is, the, is that the fault of the parents or that generation? I mean, I, I, I'm a pretty avid contributor or reader of your Facebook page. And, you know, if there's, a, if there's an older demographic commenting on there and, and I can see it, and see the trends of it is kind of dumb to rent and, and throw away your money. Yeah. And are they passing that kind of mentality onto their kids? They are. You know what? I think parents have got to back off in the housing market. They've got to stop filling their kids' heads with this propaganda about houses and investment. It's totally a backward-looking proposition. I mean, it is a rookie's investing mistake to think your future returns are going to be what your past returns are. The past three decades were a very special time. 
And that is why the housing market did very well. It's not repeatable in the next 30 years. We had a massive three-decade plunge in interest rates. We will not have that in the next 30 years. We'll probably have a long, slow, steady increase in rates, and that will be negative for the housing market. So don't tell your kids to buy because housing is, is an investment. It probably won't be in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, another point raised by Jackson, people think it's stupid to rent. I'll tell you what's stupid. What's stupid is buying a house you can't really afford. You will be in financial handcuffs, and you will have to neglect all kinds of other things, quite possibly your retirement savings. And when we talk about rent, you know, rent versus buy, there's some behavior that goes into that as well, right? I mean, uh, there's obviously a cost difference. I mean, if your rent costs are less than than home ownership, uh, what do you what what are you supposed to do with that difference? I mean, it's well, not for funding your trip to Mexico, is it? What you have to do with the difference, and I recognize that you know human nature will you know. Uh, Will, will cause people to fall off the track, but ideally you'll take the save, you'll figure out how much more you'd be paying as a homeowner, and you'll save that difference. You'll invest it, put it in a, put, fill up your TFSA, fill up your RRSP, um, start a, a non-registered account if you need to, and invest that money. It's that money is a much better investment than a house is. Why? It's liquid. You can sell some of it to uh, to pay expenses. You've got a block of money that you can access anytime. A house is really a block of money that you will convert into your next house. Right. When people sell a house in retirement, it's to buy their condo or their bungalow, and then their next thing they'll they'll be buying their way into the retirement home. You'll never really actually get get to use that chunk of money. And you talked about um, what to do with that difference um, and invest it in your TFSA. Now you wrote you wrote the guide to or uh, GenWise guide to saving and investing. Is it and and right? Well, basically a, a, a basic how to for GenY how to get started investing. You know what? Buy very cheap investments. Buy try the TDE series of mutual funds. Try ETFs. There's a lot of brokers now that let people trade or at least buy ETFs commission free. It's a great way to get started and. You know what, I, I, we could talk all night long about whether it's better to rent or buy, and I know the parental generation looks down on renting. We've got to get over that. You know what, I think I'd much, much rather see people rent and not save than buy a house and blow their brains out financially. And so what do you say to the, the, that mentality of, you know, renting is throwing away money, you're paying, why pay someone else's mortgage? Well, I mean, it's all about living within your means. I mean, a lot of people are not living within their means with houses. And how do we know that? Because their credit card bills are rising and they're not paying off the balance. They're using home equity lines of credit. There's this image that the homeowner is the smart financial manager and the renter is not. But there's plenty of people who are not managing sensibly with homes. They're not living within their means. And that's why the home equity line of credit has become the must-have housing option. It's a salary supplement for a lot of people because they're not making it on what they earn. So I gotta I gotta jump in here because I I'm going through this in my own personal journey right now where my wife and I we we live on one income my wife stays home with the kids and we've always just assumed home ownership was for us and we've been I've been fortunate to have good jobs I'm an entrepreneur and I've been able to make a lot of money but now as I pull back and I'm trying to be a family man I'm no longer working 12 16 hour days six days a week and I'm trying to find that work life balance and we've made the shift and we've realized that we live in a two income Canada you basically have to have two incomes to drive a standard average house now I'm in Regina Saskatchewan we've got a relatively good provincial economy and the price of houses are just ridiculously high now when I go and compare that to the rental market I mean I can own my 1600 square foot three-bedroom house brand new 
or I can rent a two-bedroom condo for roughly the same price. And it's really hard, but we've decided to, to make the shift because we just don't need the space, and we are going to downgrade. Now, of course, we save on property taxes and insurance and stuff, but it's a real big switch, and I think the the fact that you know you got this two income trapped, uh, two income trap developed. Uh, what what advice do you give to someone who's maybe already trapped in the house and and looking to downsize? Because comparable condos and apartments are really not that cheap anymore. <clears throat> well, you know what the, the the problem with renting is that at least in a lot of the big cities. It's hard to find good rental, good rental accommodation, but um, you know it may, and it may not be ideal. And you know, another thing is, families are not very comfortable in apartments and in rental situations. You know, uh, you know, when you have kids, you get this nesting instinct, and you want to be somewhere that you own. But I think we're going to have to get over that. Um, and you know, even the people who own, we're going to see more of them in condos, especially in the big cities, because it's the only way you're going to live within the city limits for a lot of young people if you if you go the condo route. And I think if we do that, we have to accept we're going to be there for a while. You know, this idea of of this upwardly mobile real estate market where we buy in a little small little place and then we move up once or twice. I think that's just wasting money in, in, in today's market and, and in a flat real estate market if we get that. You're going to be, you're going to build up like a little thin edge of equity and then you're going to blow it on this cost of selling your house and the cost of buying the next place. I think we have to think long term. If you're jumping into the housing market, buy a house you can live in for at least 10 years. And if you're buying a condo and you anticipate having a family, ask yourself before you buy, can I live here and raise a kid? In the um you know, often the the housing bears or the pro renters uh, today, they're you know they they talk about it like the whole Canadian market is Toronto and Vancouver, and so what do you say to the people on the fringe then in the Atlantic Canada's or even you know here in Lethbridge, Alberta? It's not uh, you know housing prices are higher, but they're not at the national average. Um, you know, is that still the case, or is it very kind of local as as far as this housing? Well, the market is. Every time I write, every time I write about the hot housing market, I get emails from people in towns where prices have not gone up, and they're saying, "Stop saying prices are going up everywhere because they're not." And you know, I reckon that's why I try to qualify everything in certain cities. Prices, but the market's hot. Uh, that sort of thing. In the let, you know, one thing about the lesser markets is they tend to have. I mean, the markets where housing isn't doing well tend to be. Communities where the economy is not doing that well, so really, you know, it's it's like the prices may not have shot out of sight in these smaller communities, but incomes aren't that good, and the job market's not that good. So there's sort it's sort of proportional, you know, the the hot markets are the hot economies. And that's what kind of sticks out to me about some of the trends with, uh, say, for a market like Toronto, where you know we talk about Gen Y and their job prospects, and you know salaries haven't budged, but home prices have gone, you know, they've skyrocketed and. And when I look at the average income in Toronto, it's actually not that high when you compare it to, you know, the Calgarys and Edmontons and that, and that sort of thing. And so you know what, check, the, it, check the income for Vancouver. It's even lower. It's really striking how low it is. Yeah, and so I just don't understand how when you look at the income to what they're borrowing, you know, those, those markets are really out of whack. You know, you know what, if you, look, um, if you look at the average household income in the country and, and say use the criteria that lenders use and you see, okay, what house could you afford based on that average household income? Nothing. You couldn't buy anything anywhere. So basically the average family, the average household has been way priced out of the market and that would be even more dramatic in uh, Vancouver and in Toronto. So the old idea of sort of like the, um, you know, the, um, 
you know, the husband working, you know, a, a blue, even a blue collar job, maybe the wife works and maybe the wife doesn't work, but they can afford a house. I don't know if that's true anymore in a lot of places in this country. And that's what really worries me about this market. I think it's be becoming a rich man's thing housing. Uh, uh, you have to be above, well above uh, the average earnings to, to get into the market. So let's circle back here and talk about the, the, you know, the graduating students. We're getting to that time right now where, you know, final ex students are writing final exams and looking for, you know, jobs this coming this spring and this summer. Um, you know, are, are we doing, are the universities and colleges, are we doing enough to, you know, prepare students or young adults for the, this job market? And, you know, where do you see that going? Well, you know, my, let me let me start with the high school process because I have two sons. One who's just graduated a couple of years ago, and one who's in grade eleven. And I don't think the high schools, are, at least in Ontario where I am, are doing a very good job at all. They're not giving kids exposure to all the different options out there: trades, college for practical on-the-job experience, universities for for the more theoretical. Um, and it's all about sort of. Yeah, I, I also see universities coming up with these sort of catchy curriculums to catch kids' attention. And I'm thinking, I hear about you know kids of friends uh, going off university and they're taking these, these programs. I'm thinking, well, what is the job connected to that? You know, I think we have to do a better job of explaining to kids, okay, here's the various streams you might want to go into, and here are earning prospects, here are job prospects, here's the unemployment rate and the employment rate for each discipline that a lot of kids are, are looking at. We, we have to basically say you're, you're, you're making an investment in your university or college education. Here's how it's likely to pay off. I'd like to see a lot more of that. And, and, and are, are there a lot of co-op programs happening? Or like I, I can see that where, you know, at the university I work at, they have you know more for the management business students. There's you know co-op programs to pair them with uh, the accounting firm or whatnot. Um, you know, are there, are there is there enough of that going on in, in outside of the traditional em employers or employment? I, I don't have a clear view on co-ops. I mean, I hear a lot of them, a lot of uh, I mean, I hear a lot of parents thinking that that is a plus in a program for their kids, and I'd have to have to agree with agree with you on that. Um, I, I think we need to, I think, but I think higher education has to stop being looked at as something that's completely isolated from reality. It's its own virtue to go to university and study. I mean, I, I think that's great and all. And, you know, if you're from a wealthy family and you, you know, who can afford four years of just wool gathering at an undergrad arts program, sure. But for most people, you need to be a lot smarter about what you're doing and what you're studying and how that's all going to pay off. And I think the universities need to recognize that. We, we need graduates to be productive members of society. And it's not enough to teach them about, uh, you know, the humanities and the arts. We have to give them some skills that they can use to get jobs. And I'm not sure that's happening in a lot of cases. Uh what what uh, what's going on with unpaid inter internships right now? That was a hot topic uh, for the last couple of years. Um, you know, is that still ha is that is it legal? Is it still happening? Well, you know, and should students do it or young adults? It's do funny. It? It's finally hit sort of uh, critical mass. The opposition to this, and uh, I mean, a couple of magazines in uh, in Toronto have stopped announced they're going to stop using unpaid internships. But you know, it, there's like this martyr complex. Oh, we were helping young people out, but now all these nasty people say it's wrong, so we'll stop, and these poor young people won't get this great experience of being slaves at our at our shop. Um, <laughs> You know what? I, I have a real aversion to unpaid internships. You know, uh, I work at the Global Mail, and we pay our interns. You know what? Because they're doing work. Uh, and you know, the unpaid internship in a world where there's plenty of employment, 
and where you can leave your unpaid internship and have a very good chance of getting a job or, or maybe even getting a job at the place that's offering the unpaid internship, I think it's legitimate. But in today's world, it's exploitation, and um, I am totally on side with the opponents of it. The, um, and that's where the co-op program comes in nicely, where you can actually pair them while they're in school with, uh, with a, hopefully with an employer that can, that can hire them on when, once they graduate. And that's right, or you at least make good contacts and you get good hands-on experience. I mean, I hear too many internships that really you're not actually doing what your career has trained you to do. And, um, but you're thinking it's better than nothing, it's better than, you know, uh, better than sitting at home, better than knocking on doors and having people slam them in your face. And I totally see why young people do them. Uh, it's just I think they deserve better. Right. Now you wrote uh, you wrote the book How Not to Move Back In with Your Parents. So uh, can you give us some tips on that? And uh, so basically, you, you know, you graduate or new graduates, uh, they're finding the employment market is pretty bleak. Uh, they're you know they're thirty thousand dollars in debt or twenty six thousand dollars in debt. And so what do they do? They come come back home and live in the mom and dad's basement. Um, you know, so is that a good thing? Um, should mom and dad be helping them out for a couple of years to get them on, on their feet? Uh, or, and how can you avoid it? Let me tell you something, Rob. I, I'm, uh, I, I'm working with a polling firm uh, to sort of flesh out some numbers on Gen Y attitudes. And I've just had a look at the raw numbers, and I am blown away at how much help parents are providing for their kids right up into their early 30s. I mean, there's a, there's a big whack of people in their early 30s who are still getting help from their parents to pay the bills just to pay basic bills, okay? So, um, you know, we, we sort of have this idea that it's sort of this novel, strange twist that more kids are moving home. In fact, parents are helping out their kids by letting them move home. They're helping them buy houses, as Jackson was talking about. They're helping them pay off their student loans, and then they're helping them pay the bills. It, you know what? I, there's like this umbilical cord to your kids, and it seems to not disappear until they're, I'm going to say, in, in their mid-30s in some cases. That's today's reality. I mean, this is what family reality is, and I think we have to accept that something's not quite right in the economy uh, because too many people are not achieving financial independence at the old age. I mean, I graduated uh, in the uh, in the mid 1980s, got a good job at Canadian Press, the wire service, and I was independent from the moment I started there, earning plenty of money. Uh, moving back home, uh, you know what? It's that's something that we're seeing more today because people cannot get the jobs that make them independent. And so mom and dad, you know, they want to help out Junior and, uh, you know, almost feel bad to say, no, no, just go strike it out on your own, you'll be fine. Um, so what do you say to mom and dad who, you know, are they putting their own retirement plans on hold because they're still, you know, keeping... You know, I think that's just dramatizing to say, oh, yeah. we're going to have to sacrifice their retirement. You know what, there may be a few years where you're not, you may have to channel a little money to your kids, but when a kid moves home, I mean, what does that mean? Okay, maybe they're going to use a little extra hydro, and maybe their showers will cause your water bill to go up, and a few extra groceries you're buying. It's not like you're, uh, it's not like you're taking on mortgage payments again. I, I, I find that parents sacrificing their retirement. That's just, that's just over dramatizing. Well, what about them paying off the student loans and? Well, that's their... that's quite interesting because, you know what? Maybe those are the parents who didn't have RESPs. <laughs> now they're just retroactively contributing uh, to uh, to the debt repayment. So should uh, should mom and dad charge their kids rent? I mean, they're, that's a very good question, uh, and I, I think if you went out and polled a hundred parents, you'd get fifty on either side of that. I say no. I say you know what? Um, a kid who moves home is a kid who's probably a financial basket case, 
and to charge them rent is pointless. I would say um, I want you to, I, I would say instead of paying me, pay the bank and sort of this rent, this quasi-rent money will go into savings for your house down payment or for your first and last month's rent. Maybe that's a better way. And the parent, I've heard an interesting thing that some parents do. They say they charge their kids rent, but they just put it away. And when the kid finally moves out, they say, here's your rent money back. Uh, and, you know, more power to you. But it was more they wanted to instill the financial discipline by having the money paid in the first place. Um, kind of going back to the job, uh, the job prospects and coming out of university, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of believed that, um, the, you know, the younger generation needs to have a little bit more of an entrepreneurial spirit to, uh, or be a little more creative in what they're looking for. Now, creative, maybe that means moving away from their hometown to, you know, to better job prospects or, you know, kind of getting outside of that comfort zone or, you know, starting a little business on the side or, or what have you. Um, you know, do, do, do they have to get cre a little more creative to, you know, yeah. make it work in this market? I think you're right on there. I think you have to you have to look at every possibility, and you know I think you know what I think today's young people are willing to do that. I mean, the fact that they're doing all these unpaid internships, I mean, they're willing to work for nothing. Okay, so how much more dedicated could you be to building a career than that? But I I, I take your point. I do think they need to think about you know entrepreneurial opportunities. I mean, it's better to. Uh, try and build a business and maybe not have much of an income than to be spinning your wheels trying to get a traditional job and get and getting absolutely no take up on that so for sure and, and as for moving that's another reason not to buy a house too early you want to keep some mobility so that you can move to where the jobs are yeah I find that was one of the mistakes I made early was I was an early homeowner and and uh, probably bit off more than I could chew because I had a you know a roommate pick, kicking in some of the bills and uh, when the roommate moved out tried to do it on my own and, and you know it's just crippling to your budget when when all you can you know you can't afford to go out for a, for a beer or, or grab a bite to eat because because of your house payments but you know what that is exactly the reality a lot of today's buyers are getting themselves into and they may not realize it but you know the house is just the beginning as soon as you buy a house you've got expenses so I'm going to jump in and ask, what do you think, has the government done a good job or a bad job of helping the housing market? Has, you know, Flaherty over the last four years has been accused of meddling. Most mortgage brokers would say that, you know, he's he's gone too far to, to curb the, the rising housing market. Um, I personally haven't had a real problem with a lot of the changes he's made. What are your thoughts? Has he gone far, too far? Well, I mean, I think the government went too far when they allowed the 30, 35, and 40-year mortgages. They allowed CMHC to get into that and the zero down payment mortgage. But there's always been this, government seems to have this idea that it must encourage home ownership and it must coddle and nurture first-time buyers and provide all these breaks for them. The government actually, we have government-organized government mortgage insurance. You know what it's like. There's this government mandate to help people own a house, and you know maybe that's good policy. Maybe it's not. We could have another discussion about that. But I think they went too far in sort of in sort of uh, pushing aside good sense and letting people have these long amortization periods. And then they saw uh, they got that plus low interest rates, and they realized this market is too hot. And everything they've done since then makes good sense to me. Uh, frankly, I mean, but. What we've, what they, what we all ignore is, if the government really wanted to shut this housing market down, you just raise the down payment to ten percent. That's all you, all you have to do. And we have, we have order is restored. Rob, that would kill the. I would lose my job if the government threw down sure payments to ten percent. It'd be like, okay, who can I go and market for? Because it's not the mortgage industry anymore. Well, maybe seven and a half percent. How's that? Is that the yeah. 
It'd still be ugly. Five is pretty. <laughs> so, Rob, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to close with, uh, I don't know if it was last year or a couple years ago, you had, uh, there, was, there was the gentleman who wrote the letter about his uh, home or his, um, you know, his economic. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, maybe you can explain it better than I can here. He was he wrote the letter about uh, just kind of how bleak his job prospects were and right. what he was doing. And right. So maybe tell us about that, and then tell us have you stayed in touch with? I, I have to an extent. It's an interesting story. It was a it was a young man like in his late twenties from Vancouver. He basically had said, you know, everything I've been writing about Jen Y was right on, and he was just getting doors slammed in his face everywhere he went trying to get a job. Anyway, through some of the exchanges I had with him and some of the writings, he had a number of people try to help him. He did end up having a job offer in Toronto, which didn't work out unfortunately, and. Now he, he was in Toronto, tried it out there, uh, met a girl, and now they're moved to Calgary. And um, I don't know what the latest is on him, but the last I heard, he still hadn't sort of hit that job jackpot. Um, and he was sort of like my uh, sort of my my uh, quintessential Gen Y situation, you know, because of all the trouble he was having. And he found a lot of good uh, temporary jobs, but not the career-building first job that he was really looking for. So temporary jobs, like a like a six month contract or yeah, exactly, contract. exactly. You know what? That's what a lot of pe young people are getting. They're not getting any benefits. They're not getting any pensions. They're just getting work for a short period of time. All the more reason to uh, have that mo mobility mindset, maybe. Well, that's that's very true, and not to own a house, so you're not getting uh, right. stressed out uh, with your mortgage payments. Excellent. Well. Thanks very much for your time, Rob. I think we're out, we're out of time here, but it was a great chat, and uh, you know we really appreciate you ha having you on here. Well, I'm glad to do it. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Anytime. Alrighty, well, everyone, thank you. We're out of here, and we'll check in with episode 18 next week. Take care, everyone, in Because Money Podcast Land. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship. Be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.